Hey there, how you doing? My name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church here in Vancouver, Washington. What you're about to hear is a message from our Sunday morning gathering, and we hope it encourages and inspires you on your journey to be more like Christ. For more information about 6-8 Church, visit 6-8church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8 church.com. We are in... The second week of this series that I'm calling Light Pollution, and it's based on 1 John chapter 4, and we're just going through the chapter over the next seven weeks, section by section, and we're just going to dig into uh, the themes of each paragraph and, and really wrestle with them. And the whole point of this is that we want to deal with the light pollution problem we have, I'm not just talking about you know actual light pollution, but... We said last week that uh, the lights that, even though they are insignificant, because of their proximity to us, they make it hard to see God. And so there's a lot of lights in the world right now, a lot of things you know, calling for our attention, a lot of screens in front of our faces, a lot of, uh, a lot of media of different kinds that are really calling for our attention. And without really doing it on purpose, we drift into a state of light pollution where where it gets hard to see God, to hear God, and let God speak to us because we're distracted by all of these other things that are detracting from our walk with God. And so we want to, if we want to, the hope is, the the goal is that we become love, that we as a church and as a community, as a body, would become love so that when people come here on a Sunday morning, they just feel so overwhelmed with the love of God and the presence of God in this place that, that they cannot help but say, man, that, that seemed like I was, I was close to God. Or you might even say that they saw God because that's what John talks about here in this, uh, in this chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We're going to dig into that just a little bit this morning. So so last week we talked about all of the different distractions and detractions we have that are causing the light pollution. Today we're going to look at the closest and brightest light that makes it hard for us to see God. What is the closest and brightest light in our lives that's making it hard for us to see God? On Monday, during church, um, someone at the table had gone to Panda Express and brought back with their lunch some fortune cookies. Now, they really shouldn't be called fortune cookies because they don't really contain fortunes. It's almost like they just contain random statements, maybe at best proverbs once in a while, but they're just kind of weird phrases. For instance, this is one that I found, uh, smile like you mean it. I don't know what what kind of a fortune that is. It's not really even a proverb, but it's just smile, I guess. The second one is, stop searching forever. Happiness is right next to you. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Stop searching forever. Happiness is right next to you. That's not very, I don't know, it's not even a clear sentence. Um, Your place in life is in the driver's seat. There we go. That's one that a lot of people want to hear. Your place is in the driver's seat. This one, you have the ability to overcome obstacles on the way to success. Again, not really much of a fortune, more of a proverb or a statement about who you are. But as Jim says, if they were fortune cookies, if they were truly fortune cookies, at least some of the fortunes should be bad once in a while. So like every third or fourth uh, fortune cookie should read something like this. The chicken you just ate was meowing yesterday. Here are the losing lottery numbers that you don't play, but they actually end up being the winners. So that would be an actual fortune. Um, This one, the butterfly effect of you cutting off that person in traffic will lead to a nuclear war. That would be a good fortune, I think, to have. And then this one, this would be a lit, an actual fortune. You are going to die in a horrific pontoon crash. So that would be a good, you know, at least it would balance out some of the nonsense, like smile like you mean it, with actual fortunes. And then people would be walking around in fear all day long, which is what we do anyway, because that's what our whole society is built on, fear. 
But on Monday, the fortune from the cookie was this. Follow your heart. It will never be wrong. This is, this is the fortune from Monday. Follow your heart. It will never be wrong. Never be wrong. It's never, never going to be wrong. Your, your heart will, will never lead you wrong. Now, I don't know if uh, Panda Express has ever been sued for giving out fortunes like this, so I checked. And it seems like they actually uh, used the song, the phrase, smile like you mean it, as a song by the killers. And so the killers decided that they were going to try to leverage the fact that they used their song title without their permission to, uh, to get Orange Chicken for Life. That was their first Twitter post was, uh, hey, Panda Express, since you're using our song lyrics, why don't you give us Orange Chicken for Life? They settled doing something different, which was a donation to the Las Vegas Valley's Serving Our Kids organization. So some good came out of that, but it wasn't technically a lawsuit over fortune cookies. It seems like, though, if, if you're giving out fortunes and then people go and live by these fortunes, at some point along the way, you should get sued when those fortunes don't come true, right? I mean, if you go and play lottery numbers and you don't win the lottery and you played according to the fortune that you were given on the fortune cookie, then it seems like you should be able to then go and sue Panda Express for not winning the lottery, right? Or, or because, you know, maybe the fortune didn't warn you about a coworker who's the president of the Garlic and Fish Oil Club. Like, if, the, if you don't get a fortune to warn you about that, you should be able to sue Panda Express. Or maybe I would say they should be sued for being able to give bad advice, like follow your heart, it will never be wrong. I don't know if you know this, but that is bad advice. That is not good advice. Has your heart ever led you astray? Has anyone's heart ever been wrong? Have you ever had a feeling, a desire in your heart that ended up being bad for you, that ended up taking you off course, that maybe, maybe really you wanted something and your heart was telling you this is something you should have, this is something you should get, and you really want it in the deepest parts of your heart, but then you get it and it ends up ruining you in one way or another? Has your heart ever led you astray? Mine has. Has your heart ever led you to make a bad decision? Well, later on Monday after lunch, Steve Hotro was giving a music lesson in the coffee room and I walked through the sanctuary to go to the restroom and I could hear that the student was learning the Beatles classic song, All You Need Is Love. Love, love, love. You know that one? Have you ever read the lyrics of that song? There is nothing you can do that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. What is that? Nothing you can sing that can't be sung? Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. What's easy? I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe it's just my dense, you know, American mind that can't understand the lyrics, but nothing you can make that can be made. So there's nothing you can make that can actually be made. There's nothing you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do but can learn to be you and time. It's easy. So I guess in the 60s it's okay to write non-coherent lyrics. And that's actually probably true of a lot of songs in the 60s. But it's probably the best they could do, right? This is the highest mental faculties they had at that season. But then it goes into the chorus, all you need is love, do, 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 do. all you need is love, da, 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 da. all you need is love, love, love is all you need. But eventually the song ends with this, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, in the end, the love that the Beatles were talking about, that's the only thing you need, is being loved by him or her. That's, that's the only love you need. It's not, it's not some kind of bigger idea of love. It's this idea that the love that you need, the only love that you need is being loved by somebody special. 
That's the love, 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 love that you need. All you need is love. But when the world talks about love, it has actually something entirely different in mind than we talk about love in the church, right? So the world, when it's talking about love, generally actually isn't talking about love. It's talking about lust or desire or really wanting something for yourself. And this is actually from 1 John chapter 2, we're going to get to in just a minute. But it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which should sound familiar If you're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. The fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life, she took some and ate it. This is the, the world's idea of love. And the world's idea of love is getting your own needs met. This is what being in love in our world is about. It's all about getting your own needs met. It's about how someone makes you feel, right? It's about how someone or sometimes something can make you feel. For instance, we use the phrase, I love pizza. We love how pizza tastes. And, and like the Domino's out here on Highway 99 and 78th Street, like a pizza a day keeps the sadness away. Have you seen that? Though I'm pretty sure if you follow your heart and have a pizza a day, your heart won't be beating for very long. I love, I love pizza. I like pizza. It's one of my favorite foods, if you can't tell. Just like I like cookies, chocolate chip cookies. I love, you might hear this one, I love your new car. You get a new car and then, you know, everyone sees you pull up in this new car. Man, that's a nice car. I love your new car. I'd love to have one of those. That's nice. Or we love ourselves. This is such a popular phrase, a popular way of thinking in our world today. You you got to work on being in love with the person in the mirror. You gotta love yourself first because that's who you'll be spending the rest of your life with. You gotta gotta love yourself, right? You gotta look out for number one or the phrase, you do you, right? Like you you just, you do you. You see that on commercials, like you, you just be you. You know, whoever you are, be who you are, even if it's destroying you and people around you. But to think about the difference between God's love and the world's love, I want to share with you a quick little illustration. You guys familiar with CCTV, closed circuit television? So if you go into a lot of a lot of businesses, you know, a lot of stores have what they call closed circuit TV. We'll get it here someday if we have the money to be able to do that. Um, and they just put cameras up all around the building, right? And then as you go th- from room to room, somewhere in the building, all of those cameras feed back to one location, one station, and there's somebody who has the ability to look at that screen, and they've got this screen that has 12 or 16 or 22, or they can and scroll through even hundreds of cameras at some of the stores, and they can, from a one-sided way, be able to look at and observe you, right? So there's a camera that's placed around the building, and someone somewhere is able to see you through that camera on their monitor. The person that's in that room can see you, but you cannot see the person through the camera, right? You cannot see, you don't have a screen there. They don't put screens up with the camera. Sometimes they do now, you know, Home Depot and stuff like that, just to make you aware that that you're being recorded at that moment. But most of the time you can't see the, the person on the other side. That's closed circuit TV. But FaceTime is two ways, or or Skype, or you know, whatever it is that you use to video chat with someone. FaceTime goes two directions. Both people have a camera, both people have a screen, 
Both people can send and receive audio and video communication. So closed circuit TV, it's all one way. There's one person that's observing and getting the benefit of the camera. FaceTime is two directions. It's bi-directional, right? It's not just one person taking advantage of a situation for their own benefit. It is a mutual form of communication. So the world's love is more like closed circuit television. It's, it's like sitting there and watching something and taking it all in for yourself and getting what you want so that you feel better about you, at the same time requiring nothing of you in return for love. But God's love is a lot more like FaceTime, although we'll get to it in a minute. It's actually not really like FaceTime. It's like the reverse of CCTV. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Remember when John uses the phrase world, he's talking about the system that is opposed to God, the system that rejects and works against God. So he's not just talking about the earth, he's talking about that system which is controlled by the devil, which opposes and works actively to oppose God. So do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, we don't like this kind of cut and dry talk. It's too, we like to say, well, does that really mean, is that really what that means? But that's what John said, and he was the apostle that Jesus loved and spent a lot of time right next to Jesus. So I'm going to take his word for it that he knows what he's talking about. He says, for everything in the world, so we can't love the world because everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And there's a reason. The reason that we're not supposed to love the world is because the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So all of these things right now, clamoring for our attention, clamoring for, for the ability to shape and mold our lives, all of these things are going to pass away. They're temporary. They don't last forever, but God's kingdom will go on forever. So everything, and once you really start getting the, you know, the eyes looking for this, everything, everything, everything in our modern world plays on one of these three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these are the same three temptations that took down Adam and Eve in the garden, and they work. So the devil uses them over and over and over and over and over and over again to this day. So love in our society is mostly about getting others to meet your own needs. We would say, you have the right to be with someone who makes you happy. You, you should do whatever makes you happy. Because your personal happiness is the supreme ethic of this day. The most important thing is that we are happy. That's not love. That's not love according to God's definition of love. That is lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's wanting something for yourself. Anything that we consume for our own pleasure is probably not love. Anything where the whole point of it is, is getting something to make you feel a certain way about yourself is probably not love. And getting back to that phrase, the problem with following our heart is that most of the time our heart is looking out for number one. And when we follow our hearts, a lot of times we will be deceived. Jeremiah 17, 9, the prophet says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The world's love is all about me, but God's love is entirely different. God's love works in an entirely different way. It has an entirely different motive behind it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. We're going to turn now and look at God's love. We've looked at the world's love. Now let's look at God's love. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, read this probably 10,000 times since I've been the pastor here. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used 
to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In your Bibles, those verses from verse uh, 6 through 11 or something like that, they're they're formatted differently, and that's because this was probably the first hymn of the new church that they sang. This is probably the first song, the first worship song that the early church sang after Jesus' resurrection. And so this was a very crucial, critical teaching for the early church. But God's love is different than than the world's love in this way. First, God's love, true love, empties itself. When we changed our name to 6-8 Church seven years ago, the other name I really liked for us as a church was the name kenosis. And that's the word, the Greek word for emptying yourself. He emptied himself, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Right there, that word made himself nothing talks about emptying himself, pouring himself out. Love empties itself of all of its rights, of all of its claims to its own position and its own good. Love empties itself, pours out itself. That's what Jesus did for us by loving us on the cross. He, He laid aside equality with God to love us. So love empties itself. Love pours itself out. The way Jesus loved us was not to use us to make himself feel like a success, right? Jesus did did not seek to amass millions of followers so that he could feel better about himself. In fact, if you look at Jesus' teaching, he's often teaching harder and harder and harder to to winnow out, to, to reduce the number of followers till he had maybe thousands following him and he reduces it down to maybe just the 12 in John chapter 6. And by his death, there's only a few left. Jesus didn't use his divinity for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. He poured himself out for us. We were slaves chained to sin and and rightfully bound to death. But Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death in our place. Like we were, we were stuck under the weight of sin. We were stuck under the yoke and the burden of sin. And Jesus comes in and steps into that yoke for us and sets us free from the yoke so that we can be bound to him forever. He emptied himself for us. Number two is love sacrifices itself for the betterment of others. Love sacrifices itself for the betterment of others. Love gives of itself so other people can have a better life. John three sixteen and 17, you're probably familiar with this. For God so loved the world, God in this way loved the world, in this manner loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Love sacrifices itself. God gave his only Son, Jesus gave his life so that we wouldn't perish, but we could receive eternal life. Love sacrificed itself for our betterment, right? Love sacrificed itself so we could receive something entirely better that we did not deserve by our own actions. Love sacrifices itself. Third, love freely gives of itself for the benefit of others. Love freely gives of itself for the benefit of, of, of others. First John chapter 4. We start in verse 7 for today. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Love freely gives of itself for the benefit of others. The call that that is on us as followers of Jesus Christ is to love in the same way that we've been loved. We have been loved in a radical way by Christ pouring out himself for us for our benefit. And so now we, in response to that, give of ourselves freely for the benefit of others. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said to his disciples as he was sending them out on, on one of their early missions, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Love freely gives of itself for the benefit, benefit of others. We have received freely of God's love, and so now we, in response to that, freely give. Freely we have received, freely we give. And becoming love is a part of becoming like Christ because God is love. God is perfect love. There is nothing about God that is not perfect. And so his love is perfect. So God does not use love like we think about using love to his own advantage. God does not use people so that he can get something in return. God does not manipulate, God does not twist things so that he can get what he wants out of us. God does not do that. Instead, what we see time and time and time again throughout scripture is God pouring out his love in abundance. You can see it starting all the way back at creation where, where God just poured out his love and he created this amazing paradise for Adam and Eve and he created this entire garden for them to enjoy and, and to take care of. And there was only one thing that was not a good thing. But they chose the wrong thing. Still, God surrounded them with love. And then time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God comes back and he shows his love. When, when Israel should have been destroyed for their rebellion and for going back and worshiping idols, instead God responds with love and gives them chance after chance after chance after chance to turn back to him. And, and they come back for a short time and then after one generation they seem to drift off again into idol worship and he still pours out love. And even after all of that, after the, after the millennia of rejecting God and his ways, God did not say that he was finished with us. Instead, he went to an even greater extreme and he sent his own son to be the sacrifice for our sins on that cross because God is love. It's impossible for him to not be loving and love is pouring itself out for others. This is how God shows his love. 1 John 3.16 says that this is how we know what love is. So if you want to know what love is, if you're looking for a good definition of love, what is love? What does it mean to love and to be loved? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Since God so loved us in this manner, he laid down his life for us. We ought to also, is what John says, because we have received this love, we ought to also love in this manner. Sacrifice, pouring ourselves out, giving ourselves to one another. That's because the beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. 
the beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. We have to start to unbecome who we've always been. We have to start to unravel all of the lies about who we think we are and what we think we're entitled to and what we think we deserve. We have to start to unbecome all of that so that we can start to become love. We have to start to set aside some of those things that are driving us day in and day out so that we can start to become Love. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. No one has ever seen God, John says, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. A way to start to see God is the way that we love one another. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus' command was, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm coming to think that the closest a non-believer will come to seeing God is when they see us loving one another in this way. That when, that when people who don't know Christ, maybe are far, far away from Christ, come into the midst of this gathering and they interact with this community who is loving itself sacrificially in this way, pouring out our lives for one another, that, that they will look on that and say, there's something of God about that. that it's, it's like watching that is almost seeing God himself in action. So how do we do this? Well, a great starting point is actually Micah 6.8. We as a church are called 6.8 Church, and it comes from Micah 6.8. It goes like this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. The good life of God is doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And I think Micah 6.8 actually serves as a great starting point for dealing with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Doing justice helps us deal with the lust of the flesh. Doing justice, as we have said, is doing what's right. It's looking at a situation and says, this is the right thing to do. And because we are faithful students of God's word, because we're constantly in it and studying it and becoming it, we, we know we can look not only at God's word, but God's word comes into our lives in such a way that we can look on a situation and say, this is the right thing to do. Or something wrong is happening in this situation and I need to go and intervene. I need to become an advocate for what's right in this situation. Doing justice requires us to deny our own rights. We have to deny our right to stay ambivalent and to not get involved if we want to start loving. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Did you catch that? You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, meaning that if something happens to you, if someone gouges out your eye, then you, to make things right, can go gouge out that eye. Or if someone knocks out a tooth, you can knock out a tooth. Someone cuts off a hand, you can go cut off that hand. That's kind of the way they were practicing the law, that, that you could make things right by getting that kind of restitution. But Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. An evil person. When someone evil does something to you, we feel even more justified to respond, right? Like, man, I didn't do anything wrong and this person did this thing to me, so I have the right to make things right, right? But Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves, and we have to start by unbecoming our rights. In our society, we have the right to correct wrongs that have been done to us by evil people, but Jesus is saying we unbecome our rights to ourselves. That's dealing with the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, how do we deal with that? Well, loving mercy. See, instead of being bothered by the homeless, we should be moved with compassion. We drove into Portland yesterday to, uh, to go to, I wasn't going to show this, but I'm going to do it now because it's kind of quiet in here and we could stir up a little bit. Um, so Becky got, uh, because of her blog, she gets us into Monster Jam, Monster Trucks. Monster Trucks, yeah. And, um, and so we got to go to the pit party, which was before where you get to meet a lot of the drivers and you get to see the trucks right down on the main floor, right? And so we go in there and you know, we're just kind of going around getting signatures, but you know, I wanted to lighten everyone up a little bit and our word for this year is fun. And so I'm just trying to not be my natural self and put myself out there a little bit and do things that aren't natural for me in hopes that they might spur some fun. And so we're going around getting signatures and, and, uh, and you know, just kind of going through the motions, right, of getting these signatures. And, and I just kind of jokingly said, maybe I should get, get this next guy to, to, sign, to sign my arm. What? And just kind of, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't really do that. And so, you know, we started and just kind of played back and forth with it for a little while. Like, and so we get up to this guy. What was his name? Tristan England, I keep wanting to say Edwards, but we get up and his, and his truck is the earth shaker. It looks like a dump truck. And, and we get up there and the kids get his, get his signatures and I go up and say, hey, would you sign my arm? So I left it on here just in case I wanted to show it. So there it is. Tristan England signed my arm. And he said, I'm not supposed to do this, but hey, if you want it. And then it turns out he won the whole thing yesterday. He actually won. He won the uh, competition. So I, I know how to choose winners when it comes to getting signatures. Yeah, now I, that's what I said. I'm not going to wash it. I'm going to get it tattooed over. And this. We know someone who did that recently, connected to our church. But, you know, so we're driving down into Portland yesterday, and if you haven't driven down I-5 into Portland, you know, as you drive down on the, on the sides of the freeway, the, on the banks are the homeless, right? Everywhere. Just everywhere. There are camps everywhere. And we parked, had to park far away because there were 17 events happening yesterday at the Moda Center and the Convention Center and all that stuff. And so we had to park and we were keep, you know, walking, by, walking by tents and walking by guys sleeping under the tarps and all that kind of stuff. And and your first response is to just kind of be annoyed with it. It's like, man, don't, it's, just, it's just making things look so bad. But the antidote to that, to when you see something with your eyes, is Jesus, who, instead of being bothered, he was moved with compassion. He was moved, literally it says, to the deepest part of who he was. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. That phrase, his heart went out to her, means he was moved with compassion. Literally, it means that he was moved in his bowels. It was, he was moved to the deepest part of who he was. His heart just went out to her, just, oh, just can't, because it was the only son of, of, of a widow, the only son of a widow. So this widow would be without income, without any kind of sustainability for the rest of her life. And he saw the situation, knowing what was happening, and he was moved with compassion by what he saw. And his heart went out to her, and he raised the son to life. That's the antidote for 
the lust of the eyes is to be someone who loves, unconditionally loves, who is stirred in the deepest parts of who we are to show compassion, to express compassion to people who when we first see them, we may think something entirely different, but we deny that, we reject that, we unbecome that. We don't allow those reservations to keep us from getting involved and acting and and making a difference. Instead, we unbecome that. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves, and we have to unbecome our reservations to get involved. That's the antidote for the lust of the eyes. What's the antidote for the pride of life? Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Jesus, at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, as he was, as he was kind of preaching this sermon and, and making the case that his manifesto, what the kingdom of God was going to be like, he opens that whole thing up with this verse where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The opening phrase of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is his manifesto of how the kingdom of God is going to work and act and, and move and spread on the earth is blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who are not full of themselves, who are not pride-filled people. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are, who are not full of themselves, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A few paragraphs later, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Are not even the people who are the worst of the worst in society loving the people who already love them? Isn't that what the world is already doing, Jesus says? It's easy to love the people who love you. And if you greet only your own people... If you, if you greet and welcome and are open to only your own people, what are you doing more than anyone else? Don't the pagans also do that? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And he closes up that paragraph with saying, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection, living in God's holiness, being a completed person. The word perfect means complete. Being a completed follower of Jesus Christ, someone who lacks nothing, who is holy in the kingdom of God, is someone who loves their enemies and prays for those who persecute you. To do that, we have to humble ourselves. Pride would say, I don't have to love my enemies. I have a right to reject my enemies. They're my enemies, after all. But... God would say, walk humbly with God and love your enemies because that's what Jesus did for us. He humbled himself, poured himself out, emptied himself of everything while we were still enemies of God. John the Baptist had it right. He said, he must become greater, I must become less. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves, and we have to unbecome our reliance on ourselves. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. Martin Luther said that no tree bears fruit for its own use. Everything in God's will gives itself. No tree bears fruit for its own use. Everything in God's will gives itself. 
So for those of us who are in the kingdom of God, the fruit that we might bear in our lives is not for our own use. It's to be given, right? It's to be poured out. It's to bless. It's, it's so that through our lives, God might produce the fruit of the kingdom of God and others might around us taste of that fruit and see that God is good and want to be drawn into who God is. If we're going to allow the fruit of God to grow in our lives, we have to stop resisting it by trying to cling to it and hold into it for all of our own purposes. We have to let God pour it through us, not hoard it for ourselves. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. So as we wrap up, I want to ask, what is one thing you can do this week to unbecome you? to make more room in your life to become love. What's one thing? You don't, you don't have to pick a big thing. You don't have to make a big deal about it. You know, last week we said, can you find, what is one thing you can give up as we're on this Lent journey? What is one thing you can give up? Five minutes of something you can give up so you can spend five more minutes with God. And I'm going to keep challenging us every single week to add to that. So this week, I should have started with six, but I wasn't there yet. So um, we're going to go to 12. What, what can I give up that I'm spending 12 minutes on a day so I can spend those 12 minutes with God? What am, what am I doing? What are, you know, watching TV, scrolling through social media, you know, just, you know, sitting around doing nothing. What is one thing I can give up for 12 minutes so I can spend those 12 minutes with God? What is, what is something I can, I can deny myself that I'm used to indulging in? What is something I can, I can resist the urge to participate in and, and I can not give in to that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life? And I can, I can start to practice denying that, whatever that thing is, for 12 minutes and take those 12 minutes a day and, and you know, maybe just read my Bible for a little. Maybe just read through 1 John chapter 4 a couple of times and really let it sink in. For instance, if you read 1 John chapter 4 uh, and you read the verses that we are on for this week, verses 7 through 12, you'll see that love is mentioned a whole lot of times. And if you read 7 through 21, you'll see that in those 14 verses, love is mentioned 27 times. 27 times in 14 verses. So I think love is a pretty big theme in these verses. And you might just you know, read through that and just start to look at it from this idea of love being sacrificial and emptying itself and pouring itself out and just read it a few times and let that idea really build your understanding of this verse. Dear friends, let us love. Okay, empty myself, pour out myself, give of myself one another. For love, empty myself, pour out myself, give of myself for one another. Love comes from God. That's what comes from God. Not, not something that's hoarding everything for me and taking of others so that I can make myself feel good, but emptying myself and pouring myself out. Everyone who loves, empties myself, gives of myself, pours out myself, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, whoever does not empty themselves, who does not pour out themselves, who does not give of themselves, does not know God. And maybe just take... Just take some time each day, 12 minutes, and just read through a different passage of Scripture and just let it really ruminate in your heart and your mind. You could just read through 1 John several times, five chapters. Read it Monday through Friday, a chapter each day, and let it soak into who you are. But what is something we can do? What is one thing we can do to start to unbecome who we are so that we can make more room for the life of God? That's how we become love. We don't become love by trying harder. We don't become love by mustering up the strength or the courage to try to be love. We, we become love by emptying ourselves of ourselves so that God can pour his love into us and then we become the love of God. But I think we just get in our way. We're too close to ourselves and don't realize just how much we're wrapped up in ourselves all the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your extravagant love. Thank you for just the display of love of Christ on the cross. If, you, if we take everything else that you've given out of love, out of the equation, if 
we take the fact that you created us and, and loved us because you wanted us to exist, you created us. If we take that out of the equation, we just focus on the fact that you sent your one and only son who had been in community and relationship with you since all of eternity, since forever. And you sent that son who had existed as the word and you sent him to put on flesh and become one of us and walk amongst us and to eventually pour out his life's blood as a sacrifice for us. If you so loved us, if you loved us in such a radical way that you would send your son to do that for us on our behalf, Father, I pray that you would help us to really understand what love is and become that kind of love for one another, that as the body of Christ at 6-8 Church, we would, we would pour out ourselves, we would empty ourselves, we would give of ourselves. And I pray, Father, that, that you would just give us the courage to start to look for ways that maybe we're giving in to our, we're, we're we're pulling things in. We're taking things in. We're, we're hoarding things for our own benefit when what we really need to do is start pouring ourselves out. I pray that you'd give us the courage to start trying some of those things. And maybe even just with 12 minutes a day. Twelve minutes a day that previously we were spending doing other things, that we would take twelve minutes a day and just be with you. That by being in your presence, we would become more like you as we spend more time with you. And Father, I pray that as you give us the courage to try that, as you give us the courage to step out and just read our Bible for five minutes a day, to pray for five minutes a day to do something else for five or ten minutes a day that we've never done before, to spend some time being grateful and thankful, to spend some time being devoted to one another in love, whatever it might be. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to really experience you in those moments, that you'd help us to start to see that pouring ourselves out doesn't mean we're going to run out of anything. Which means that we're going to be filled with the overflowing love of God, the eternal love of God that never runs dry, that never runs out, that never comes to an end, that is eternal in nature because God is eternal in nature. There is never an end to God's love. And I pray, Father, that, that you would help us as your people to, to instead of hoarding and trying to consume everything we can get so we feel better about ourselves, we become the kind of people that empty ourselves so that you can fill us with yourself and that out of the overflow of who you are pouring into us, we might spill out and pour out the eternal love of God onto one another and on the world around us. And Father, I pray that the unbelieving world around us would see how we love one another and that they would say, there's something of God in that. I have to know what's that about. We thank you and praise you give you all the glory in Jesus' name.